all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today, we're going to be taking your questions uh, and comments about living a healthy life, as we always do, and we can answer COVID questions if you have any of those as well. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email us, fit at org, or you can go on over to my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie, and interact with us there. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Josie. Just wanted to uh, give a plug for your Facebook page. I'm not sure how frequently you've been doing it or how recently, but you've started adding uh, recipes. And it was strange because I remember we talked about it on the air, I think a couple of weeks ago, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I like black beans, and I think that would be a good substitute for for tacos. I wonder if if there's a black bean taco recipe. <laughs> and then voila, you had a black bean taco recipe. And, uh, you know I, what? Go ahead. I can read mine. <laughs> But I would like to give you massive props because uh, I tried it. Uh, it's a very simple recipe to do. Um, you, you had some homemade uh, taco seasoning and all mm-hmm. the vegetables in there. And, and like I said, it worked really well, and it was really, really tasty. And as a bonus, you taught me a better way to dice an onion. Yeah, you know, um, we we ran a, a teaching kitchen for a couple of years, and the first couple of sessions, that's all we focus on is is knife skills and how you cut things up, because just watching folks do it, it takes folks a long time to, to cut up an onion or, you know, to dice up things, and there's just a, a quicker way to do it. You know, I always talk about working smarter, not harder, and so, you know, the other thing I do with my onions um is kind of chop a bunch up at one time, more than I need, and throw them in some zip-top bags in the freezer. And that way I can just, you know, take them out and and dump them in my recipes that I need. But, yeah, so um, I have – I don't know whether I'm, I'm losing my mind or what, but I have decided to, to jump into YouTube land. <laughs> and so <laughs> – and so um, – for Mother's Day, actually, my husband and kids got me some some audiovisual equipment. So they got a mic and a tripod and and some of those things. And so um, we've been doing shooting some videos at home. And you know, we're doing I'm kind of doing some short videos that are like the taco seasoning mix, and then some longer videos that are showing how to use some of those mixes. I've got one that's coming up this week that'll actually be a Mediterranean um, seasoning mix and some roasted chickpeas with that. You know, really what inspired it to start, you know, of course, I fully believe in uh, plant-based protein and, and adding that into our meals as much as possible. 
but people started to get apprehensive when meat prices started going up and there was more, you know, more um, talk about there being meat shortages and those kinds of things. And that's understandable. You know, if meat is something that is a part of every meal that you, that you do and that has been part of your life forever, it can be very distressing to think, how am I going to feed my family? You know, I don't know how to do this. And so I want to show, uh, you know, quick recipes that are not going to take you all day and are not going to have ridiculous ingredients that you don't have access to that are still going to have flavors that are familiar. You know, that's why we picked, you know, Taco Tuesday and did, and did, you know, a Tex-Mex inspired meal because that's, that's a familiar food and just swapping in the black beans instead of using ground beef so that you can see there are uh, easy, nutritious ways to still feed your family. If one, you can't find meat or it, you know, it's too expensive for you to get to, to purchase right then, or just stretching it, you know, maybe you do half ground meat and half beans to make that pound that you were able to purchase last longer. Well, you know, I, I like black beans and half, so that was one thing that attracted me to this. And But uh, I didn't miss the ground beef whatsoever in the in the tacos. And the other thing that I was thinking about when I was doing it, you know, I like hamburger as much as the next person and like tacos with ground beef. I'm certainly not going to say that I don't. But I always hated to have to deal with all the grease. Then, you know, you have to pour it in a can and it spills all over. And if you don't do that, it yeah. skims at the top when you put it. And so with that vegetable one, no problem with that whatsoever. Also, lots of color. I In mine, I used some uh, red onions uh, and some Roma tomatoes, which were really tasty. So again, real, real props to you. It turned out uh, to be quite, quite tasty. It's something that's easy enough for me to make, and I think I'm going to add it into my regular rotation of cooking choices. Well, yay. And so if folks are wanting the recipe, of course, it's um, on my Healthy Habits with Josie Facebook page. The video is posted there. Um, and it will also link you to the blog post over on my website. So if you need, if you prefer it written, which you actually asked for a written recipe, then it's written over there on the blog. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes, and also that uh, the uh, roasted chickpea sounds good too. So I'm going to keep an eye out for that one. Yeah, you know you got to get got to get a little creative with uh, how you incorporate more fiber rich foods into your diet, and it's so important right now. You know, regardless of your stance on on meat, we've got to be paying attention to our heart health. You know, when we look at um, COVID and the number one kind of comorbid condition or condition that is present in folks who have um, died from COVID is cardiovascular disease. So we've got to be doing our part to su support our heart health. And the evidence is clear that fiber is good for your heart. Um, decreasing saturated fat and cholesterol is good for your heart. And one way to do that is to eat more veggies. Doesn't mean we have to eat no meat but we need to eat more veggies. So looking for ways to incorporate things into your regular meals is a great way to do that without kind of stressing you out too much. Now, now Josie, I did bake a carrot cake. Does that count as a vegetable? You know, <laughs> carrot cake is my absolute favorite cake in the whole wide world, you know, and I'm, I'm a cake baker as well. And, you know, I used to bake cakes of course, non-vegan, and I still will make them non-vegan if, if people request them. But I have enjoyed learning how to, to remake cakes using, you know, uh, plant-based principles of it. And carrot cake lends itself beautifully to, to that because it's such a kind of a dense cake. 
Um, it's really, really good. And so, you know, um, I'll, I'll let it count for a quarter of a vegetable serving. <laughs> Yay. Yay. All right, guys, if you have a question for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Emails fit at mpbonline.org. And my Facebook is Healthy Habits with Josie. I'd love to interact with you in any of those forums today. Uh, Josie, uh, do you have uh, something from your Facebook page you can share with us? I do. I have some questions that have come in. Um, and these are all non-COVID related questions. So we're absolutely happy to take those as well as any questions that you may have about um, COVID-19. So I get a lot of random stuff <laughs> that comes in to my Facebook and that is fine. Um, and this is actually um, not related so much to, to healthy living either. It's just a general medical question and it's about what to do if you've gotten bitten by a cat. So this person inboxed me that they had actually gotten bitten by a cat and what was the kind of best treatment for that. So the first thing is to get it clean, right? So when we think about a cat bite, you know, cats have those little pointy canine teeth that come down. And so when they bite, it's a puncture wound. And so that's different than a scratch that's only going to be in the couple of top layers of skin. This is actually going to go a little bit deeper. And that's one of the one of the reasons why animal bites um, can get infected more easily just because it's kind of driven farther down in there. So we want to make sure that we're really, really washing the area out well. So instead of just kind of a quick wash with some soap and water, I really like people to, to rinse out that area for several minutes, you know, three to five minutes under, you know, running water to try and flush anything out of those little puncture spots, just some regular soap. You don't need anything fancy there um, just to keep that clean. Putting some pressure on it if it's bleeding, um, you know, depending on how severe it is, you know, anything that doesn't stop bleeding after, you know, 10, 15 minutes warrants a, um, a visit to your healthcare provider. You can put some antibiotic ointment and a clean wrap, but it still warrants a call to your healthcare provider. Um, like I said, those, Things can get infected uh, a lot more easily than just a scratch, per se. Um, so it may require you to have some antibiotics. And the infection develops relatively quickly. So within about 24 to 48 hours, you'd start to notice signs of an infection. Increased redness, swelling, warmth of the site, drainage, fever, chills, all those kinds of things. The second piece that's really important is your tetanus shot. So um, tetanus shots, we usually kind of boost them or update them every 10 years. Um, but if you have an injury, so like a, a penetrating injury like this, um, if it's been more than five years, you actually need a, a, a repeat tetanus shot for that. So a lot of folks don't know when their last tetanus shot was. So, you know, kind of having access to your vaccination records is important and knowing um, kind of what, which one of those vaccines has tetanus prevention or, you know, prophylaxis in it. So um, in little kids, they get the DTaP vaccine. So you'll see like big D, little T, little A, little P. Um, and then um, adults sometimes just get TD vaccine. So big T, little D, and that has tetanus in it. And then some adults get TDAP, which also has the pertussis in there. And we see that 
um, folks get that one a lot if they're in the childbearing age range or they care for children because we're trying to protect the children from the pertussis part when, when they're too little to get vaccinated. Um, so any of those that have a, a T in it likely have a tetanus component in there. Um, but a lot of folks don't stay up to date on their tetanus uh, boosters. So that's something to talk about with your healthcare provider when you go in for your routine wellness check, or even if you're there for you know, a follow-up on your high blood pressure or diabetes, it's a good time to have a conversation about maybe I, it's, it's time to update my tetanus booster there. All right. So I hope that gave a little bit of information about cat bite care. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MVB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. Today, we're taking your questions and comments about general health and wellness, as well as any questions that you may have related to COVID-19. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can always email us at fit at mpbonline.org or hop on over to Facebook and interact with me there at Healthy Habits with Josie. And I do have some uh, questions coming in through Facebook this morning if we want to jump into those. What do we think, Kevin? Actually, let's uh, take a phone call first, and we will talk to Linda in Madison. All right. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, Dr. Josie. I just caught the tail end of the tetanus uh, information you relayed shortly. I am due for my tetanus booster. I went to the Kroger pharmacy and they said they had tetanus with something. And I was concerned because I didn't know if I should be getting a booster of what the something was. (laughs) I'm not sure if it was pertussis or uh, diphtheria. I don't know what it was. But would you clarify the tetanus booster info? Absolutely. So, um, when you look at the names of them, there are going to be some that are in kind of capital letters and then some that are in lowercase letters. And the one that's in capital letters usually means that's the one that has, it's the predominant component in in that particular vaccine. So in the adult population, there are two that we use, just um, T, big T, little D, and then big T, little D, little A, little P. 
And so that's probably the one they're referring to that they have have tetanus with a little something else in it. And that's the tetanus, diphtheria, and and acellular pertussis is the other one. And so it's fine um, to go ahead and, and get that one, assuming you don't have any allergies to, you know, any of those components or anything like that. It just adds that pertussis protection in there. Um, you know, the reason we didn't used to, to do that is we kind of thought pertussis protection lasted a lifetime, but it appears that it has waned somewhat. And so um, babies get their first pertussis vaccine at two months of age. And so if you have routine contact with um, young children, then we usually recommend um, that Tdap um, vaccine to help protect those little babies there. So we give it to grandparents and that kind of stuff um, as well. Um, so that if that's what they're talking about, then it's probably you know fine for you to go ahead and take that one. You can always check um, with your regular uh, doctor to make sure there's no contraindication to you receiving the Tdap vaccine, but that's probably what they're talking about. Super. That's exactly what I need to know. Thank you so much for your program. Lots of information. Thank You're you. welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for giving us a call. Bye-bye. Hi. All right. I think we'll go ahead and try and do one more um, Facebook question and we'll, um, it comes in um, from one of my regulars over on my Facebook page. And it says, I don't share your love of cooking. Uh, I eat most of my food straight out of the can. Is that okay? And so um, you don't have to love cooking. That's okay. Um, You can still get um, easy to uh, fix things that are nutritious. As far as eating straight out of the can, um, the, the one thing I want to caution you about is this, the sodium content or the salt content um, of that particular product um, because canned foods usually do have more uh, sodium added in there. So try and get the low sodium varieties or the no sodium varieties of that. If you don't have access to those or you um, can't afford those, then draining those products, if they're, if they're vegetables, draining those products and rinsing them will help decrease the sodium by about 25% or so. Um, and then if it's a, a, a canned fruit, you know, try and get them that are packed in water or packed in juice. Uh, if they're packed in syrup, again, kind of drain them and give them a rinse out there. The other thing that we tend to worry about in canned products is um, what they're canned in. Or, you know, is it uh, a BPA-free uh, liner for that can? And almost all of them are now. Um, and then my other suggestion would be to look at frozen things. If you have the ability to to have a freezer and to be able to store things um, because those require little effort in preparation. You can steam those in the microwave or just cut the bag open and dump them um, into a pot and heat them up that way. But they usually have less sodium uh, than the canned varieties do. Uh, so, um, you know, that could be another option for you there to try that out. Um, but canned food, can be a part of a nutritious dietary pattern. You just got to kind of watch that salt and make sure you're varying things so that you're eating um, lots of different foods, not just kind of green beans and corn. That's what I see everybody stock up on is green beans and corn. Um, So make sure you're getting a variety of things there. So I hope that helps out a little bit. All right, we're going to go back over to the phone lines and talk with Debbie and Wesson. Good Good morning, Debbie. Good morning. I have two things, two comments. Okay. One, about your fresh onions. 
if we yes. get down to the root end, if you'll put it in some soil, it will actually put up a green sprout later on, like a green onion. I have that growing right now. Okay. And so I'm, tr I'm trying my hand at it. I've got a garlic clove that I did it to. Um, and it's doing really, really well. And then I have an onion. What I did was I cut it, um, cut the root end off, and I kind of put the little booty end of the onion in a little bit of water and let it um, stay for about five days or so until I got good, new, fresh roots coming out of the bottom of it. And then I dumped it over in my garden. So fingers crossed. It, it will work. And if you actually leave it long enough, like two years, it actually will start making a little onion. Wow. That's um, some patience, though. I don't <laughs> Second thing, um, after working for a vet for over 22 and a half years, what we discovered is that it was really beneficial to do an Epsom salt soak on a puncture wound. Oh, and every time you washed it, do a hydrogen mm -hmm. peroxide flush on it. Gotcha. Just uh, pour in the hydrogen peroxide on, or do you all use a syringe to kind of squirt it? No, we just pour it on, let it bubble. Just pour it. Poured it on and let it bubble. I know hydrogen peroxide is one of the most satisfying things. Not for the person getting hydrogen peroxide, but for the person applying it to watch it bubble. Um, there, That's excellent. So the Epsom salt bath is good. Um, and most folks have a bag of that around. I know I do to soak my feet in. That's an excellent tip. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. You're welcome. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And those were lots of great tips she had there. But, yes, I have tried my hand at growing food from food scraps. And so I've got the onion and the um, garlic already in the soil in my garden. I'm also doing um, romaine lettuce. So because it has a, a root end to it as well, I've just cut it off, um, of course made my salad, and then put that root end over in a little shallow dish of water. And it's been going for about 10 days, I would say. And there's definitely new growth coming up out of the top of there. So I'm probably going to plant it in the next couple of days. And then um, carrots. So the tops off of the carrots, I've got those in some water as well. Now you won't regrow a carrot from that, but you will cause the, um, the greens that come out of the top of the carrot to, to grow. And you can actually use those carrot tops to make a pesto. And it's an absolutely delicious pesto. So I've got a couple of carrot tops going in a little dish of water as well. And I change the water about every other day um, just to keep it nice and fresh. And, and it's, a, it's a fun little experiment. The kids like it. They come down um, every day and go out uh, to the little windowsill that I have them sitting to see how much they've, they've grown uh, and, and ask questions about, about all those different kinds of things. So that uh, that's what we're doing. I do have a little garden going as well. Um, I've got tomatoes and peppers and um, zucchini and cucumbers and um, some herbs and that kind of stuff. You know, just things that uh, I use on a routine basis that, you know, it's a fun little stress relief for me in the morning. I grab my cup of coffee. I go out before it gets too hot and, you know, take a look at, at what all has changed and grown overnight and, and get excited about all the yummy goodness that, that I'm going to get, hopefully. Now, I mean, I have killed a succulent before, so, uh, <laughs> which if you didn't know you could do that, you can. Um, but uh, these seem to be going pretty, pretty good, so I'm cautiously optimistic on my little garden I've got going out there uh, at this time. 
All right. If we want to um, hop back over to Facebook, we can do that. And if you have a question for us, our face, my Facebook is Healthy Habits with Josie, that you can drop a message for me there. Um, you can also email us, fit at mpbonline.org, or hop on the phone lines with us this morning and talk. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring All right. So back over to Facebook. Um, we've got a question that says, I'd like suggestions for tasty, healthy-ish vegan frozen food meals that I might find at Walmart for occasional cheat days. Um, and this is a question I get a lot and I work with um, folks in clinic a lot on this because um, frozen meals are something that can be easy to keep stocked in the freezer so that you don't uh, go for takeout. Um, a lot of folks take them for work and that kind of things, but they're oftentimes not the healthiest option. Um, so our dietitian actually put together some guidelines for frozen meals uh, when working with folks. And these guidelines don't apply just to, to vegan meals, but to, you know, any kind of frozen meal. And what we're, what she recommends, and she's been on the show before, it's uh, Dr. Fiona Lewis. Um, she's recommending um, to really pay attention to a couple of um, key macronutrients. So, right, so fat. Um, in particular, and making sure that the total fat in that frozen meal is kind of less than 30% um, of the calories are coming from, from fat, um, as well as no trans fat and lower on the saturated fat intake as well. Um, sodium is another big one to look at. You know, that's usually one of the big kickers in frozen meals is the sodium. So same deal that we talked about with canned foods, those things often have a lot of salt in them. Um, and so her recommendation is to look for frozen meals that have 600 milligrams or less of sodium per serving. You know, it's always important to make sure to look and see how many servings um, are actually in a frozen meal when you do those. Um, other important things to look at are, you know, is there a good source of vitamins and minerals like vitamin A and vitamin C? Um, iron and calcium, as well as protein and dietary fiber. And protein and fiber both are going to help you feel full um, for a longer period of time. Um, so about 500 calories or so, 500 or less is kind of our goal to start looking at with a frozen meal. And most folks are going to go, well, that's not going to fill me up. You know, that's not a very big frozen meal and it's not supposed to fill you up. It's supposed to be part of your plate. So anytime we're using frozen meals, we want to also add some type of fruit and or vegetable um, to that meal as well. And so that could be uh, fresh um, fruit and vegetable if you have access to that. It could be another steamable pack of maybe some steamed green beans or broccoli, something like that, um, and a piece of fruit, either you know fresh or canned on the side of that, but that you always want to add some of that fruit and veg uh, to a frozen meal when you can. So in terms of availability and brands, um, you know, there are several out there, um, and I did a little check this morning to see if they were available at Walmart. Um, I know some these are available at Kroger, um, but looking at Walmart, Sweet Earth is one that is that has vegan options. So now we're moving into the the um, <clears throat> original question about vegan frozen meals. So Sweet Earth has has some. Um, now all of these brands that I'm mentioning also have non-vegan options as well. So you have to you know you have to read the labels a little bit. Sweet Earth, Reds is another one. Luvo is one. Healthy Choice, even even your regular Healthy Choice, they have some vegan and or vegetarian options available. So those are some of the brands out there 
um, that you may be able to, to find in your local store that would classify as a vegan option there. Um, and are not terribly expensive, you know, $4, $4 to $5 and under. Um, so definitely not something that you want to make a mainstay of your dietary pattern, but for an every now and then thing, or if you just don't feel like fixing anything, um, those could be uh, an option uh, to add into your meal there. Have you tried, do you have a favorite frozen meal, Kevin? Um, actually, I like the, uh, the vegetables in the steamable bag. I think those are very convenient. Yeah. And I, broccoli, I think, uh, my, my childhood me would be completely shocked. Uh, but <laughs> I think that broccoli is probably one of my favorite vegetables. And I love to get those, uh, steam in the bags, uh, with the broccoli in it. Yeah. You know, a lot of, um, patients that I work with have knee and back issues. They have a lot of, uh, you know, um, arthritis in the back and knee. And so they tell me that they can't stand up and do a lot of cooking, you know, and because it makes them, them hurt. And so they tend to choose maybe takeout or things like that. And that's a, a viable concern. You know I mean? If it, if it is hurting you to, to stand, you're less likely to do it. But we also want to know that you know, if you're also overweight, losing some weight may help with that joint pain as well. And so we want to choose foods that are going to help support that dietary pattern. And so in addition to, to batch cooking, right, you know, where we cook a lot at one time like, and, and foods that require not a lot of standing and work, you know, maybe um, baking off a whole package of chicken at one time in the oven, to, to use for multiple meals or throwing something in the crock pot that you'll be able to use in multiple ways throughout the week. Those steamable packs really can work very well for folks because they just throw it in the microwave and it's done in, you know, two minutes or so. And then they didn't have to stand and stir and do all these different kinds of things there. So those are some ways to, to integrate those into your dietary pattern. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining us today on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC. And we've been answering your questions today uh, about general health and wellness. We've had lots of good uh, callers today. We can also take any questions that you have related to COVID-19 if you've got a burning question out there related to that. 
Um, our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always join me over on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. You can post a question there, or you can send it to my inbox if you want to be de-identified. That is fine. If we don't get to your question today, uh, we will get to it next week or in an upcoming email show as well. All right, so I do have another Facebook um, question that is asking about uh, stomach virus. So this individual says they think they have stomach virus. Um, they've been having uh, an upset stomach uh, for a couple of days and they're trying to avoid going to the doctor. Uh, what can they do? So there's a couple of things to kind of unpack there, right? So uh, stomach virus usually is vomiting or diarrhea or both. Um, and it can either be from a stomach virus, you know, which is kind of a generic term, or it can be food poisoning. Um, and a food poisoning can be bacterial or um, viral. And so, you know, one thing to do is to think back to when the symptoms started and is there any relationship to any particular um, food? You know, some of the things we think about most often in causing uh, stomach viruses are um, undercooked or, or gastroenteritis, so the vomiting and diarrhea, are undercooked meats um, or um, creamy-based things, um, you know, mayonnaise and that kind of thing, um, sometimes rices and pastas that have sat out, that kind of stuff can, can trigger that. So it's important to think about, you know, what might have, have been a cause of this. Um, the treatment for gastroenteritis especially when it's viral, is largely just letting it run its course, so to speak. Um, you know, not necessarily stopping the, the diarrhea. You know, I see a lot of people reach for, um, you know, Imodium or other things to stop the diarrhea. If this is an infectious process, that can often make the symptoms last longer um, because you're slowing down the way that the body has of, of getting this badness out. Um, so I always recommend talking with your healthcare provider before using any kind of anti-diarrheal medication um, with that. Um, now, from a nausea standpoint, if you're not able, not nausea and vomiting, if you're not able to keep down fluids and you know anything to drink, then we definitely want to try and stop that. And there are a variety of things that can that can be used that are prescription, you know, Zofran and Phenergan are kind of two of the, the more common ones that you may see out there. Um, but really hydration is the important part that's going on with gastroenteritis. We want to make sure that you're able to stay adequately hydrated. So um, I see a lot of people kind of gulp down liquids um, because they're, they're thirsty. Um, but this often really irritates the stomach. It stretches it out and you tend to maybe vomit again after that. So Smaller sips of things to drink are are, are better option there, um, and some people tolerate it better when it's super cold. Some people don't. Some people tolerate it better as an ice chip or a popsicle or something like that. Um, the second part of the the question was trying to avoid going to the doctor. So, what I don't want people to do is to be to be fearful of seeking medical care should they need to do so. Um, it's always prudent during this time that we're in right now to give your doctor's office a call um, and let them know what your symptoms are and get direction on, um, on how best to seek care. But your healthcare providers are, are here and we're here to take 
care of you and we want to take care of you. And that includes um, keeping you you safe um, and really having very strict infection control um, principles going on to keep you safe from contracting COVID. So, you know, we shouldn't avoid necessary uh, visits to, or at least consultations with our healthcare provider. A lot of folks are doing it by telemedicine. I'm seeing all of my patients by telemedicine right now. And that is working well for the type of care that I provide. Um, but we, there are folks moving back into in-person visits and that that's a viable option as well there. Um, as far as diarrhea, one thing that does make it worse is high sugar uh, foods. So um, sodas and juices and those kinds of things that have a lot of sugar can make the diarrhea um, worse. Um, so, you know, trying to avoid those concentrated uh, sweeteners there. Um, you can do a little bit of, of Gatorade Pedialyte's even better because um, it doesn't have as much um, it's got a, a better balance of electrolytes in it there. And then once the kind of vomiting calms down and um, you feel like you can start to introduce foods back in there, don't go crazy. You know, we don't want greasy things and spicy things and things that are going to irritate the stomach. We want to do more um, bland things just to kind of get the belly used to having things back in it. So toast or crackers or broth, you know, things like that. And then working up to things like mashed potatoes or rice and that kind of thing um, until we get back to a, a gradual increase into a regular diet there. So I hope that helped a little bit about stomach virus. If you have more questions about that, you can certainly email me at fit at mpbonline.org. All right, we've got a caller on the line. We're going to go to Utica and talk with Renee this morning. Good morning, Renee. Hello there. Yes, I would like to know is we found cornbread in the same category as flour, if not, you know, being as such healthy for you? Like cornmeal? Yes, cornmeal. Yeah. So it's it's a it's different because it's just it's ground corn if you're getting straight cornmeal. Now a lot of the like I know my grandmama when I opened her cabinet it was not plain cornmeal in there, it was cornmeal mix. Um, and it was usually self-rising cornmeal mix. And so that's got flour and baking powder and salt and all of that stuff added in there. Um, since corn, if you get just plain cornmeal, is just ground corn, um, then that can be used for, for some different things. You can't make just plain cornbread out of it. we got to do some other things to it to make that light and fluffy. Um, but just plain corn, depending on where it's processed and how it's processed, it, it would then be gluten-free because it's not a, a wheat-based product there. Um, in terms of health, there may be a little bit more fiber to it. Um, and uh, some people might not find it quite as inflammatory because it's not as refined out as white flour is, but it's still going to count as a carbohydrate. And so it's still going to contribute to blood sugar um, in a sense. So uh, it's definitely an option that I use, but always remembering that starches, especially bread-based starches, shouldn't be more than a quarter of your plate. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. 
Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. We've been taking your questions and comments today, and there have been some great ones. We're in the last segment of the show, so I'm going to hop right on over to the phone lines because I know we have several that are waiting for us. We're going to start with Donna in Faulkner. Good morning, Donna. Good morning. How are you? I'm loving your show. Uh, Oh, well, I'm doing good. Thank you. What can I help you with? Well, I have a very serious problem with raccoons uh, and and cat food. (laughs) Uh, I have cats, and I like to feed them uh, early, you know. I bet they like to be fed, too. (laughs) Yes. Um, But even early, before dark, there are raccoons out there waiting for me to come out and feed them. Uh, So I counted seven raccoons one night. Mm, this was okay. after dark. They had all accumulated by then, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 I I discovered that I was spending hundred and eighty dollars a month on cat food, which oh my I have I do have uh, uh five cats of my own and uh, mm-hmm. of course two of my neighbors' cats that come over here for food. And mm-hmm. uh so I shouldn't be spending that much for it, just cats though. The raccoons are getting very, very fat. And uh, they're <laughs> they're getting fatter all the time, and uh, and they get in my garbage, um, yeah. and they get eat a hole through a garbage can, mm-hmm. and and this is a, a serious problem for me, and mm-hmm. so I've started beating them with a curtain rod, an old rusty oh, curtain goodness. rod, when they come around for food to make them want to go away, and if I keep doing this, I know eventually I'm probably going to get bit. Uh, one of the tamer ones that has become such a pet grabbed me by the coattails one night and was I was carrying a Purina bag, a blue Purina bag, and uh, he knew what was in there. So he was wanting that that bag, what was in the bag. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, this is getting serious. What I need mm-hmm. to know is if I get bit by a raccoon, I know there's a danger of rabies. Is there mm-hmm. a rabies vaccine for humans? There is. There is a, um, a rabies uh, vaccine for humans and one in particular that's for, for post-event. So if you've been, been bitten and you ha- it, it's a, a, not a one-time shot, it's a repeated series of things there. But what we want to do is prevent the opportunity for that raccoon to bite you. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, one thing to, be, to think about is, is there, you know, an animal control or a wildlife um, uh, facility in your area that can help, uh, maybe capture them and relocate them to a different area. Uh, that's would be, what I suggested, be... but I have not heard back from him. Okay. Okay. So that, that's one. The second is, so are your, all your cats are outside kitties? Uh, well, I have one inside, but, uh, she doesn't, you know, I feed her inside and, yeah. uh, but the, the rest of them are outside. Um, you know, one option would be, you know, if you had a little utility room or, you know, an, an outside storage room or something like that, that you could feed them in, um, you know, just for that kind of 
that that feeding time that they like to have instead of kind of sitting it out where the raccoons would have you know the opportunity to to get it would be um, one option and then um, getting uh, either like a wooden box type device that you can sit your gar- uh, garbage cans down in um, so that they're not able to chew on those outside pants. things it's like a dog little dog pants you know and it's high, yeah thirty six yes. inches um, you know and I have a uh, um, I set my bags, uh, I, I, they are in contractor bags. I can't use regular mm-hmm. bags. Uh, it's strode too much. Uh, mm-hmm. But they get their little paws through the fence and drag it out. Now, my, oh my next step is to get a garbage can and put it in the fence. They destroy two garbage yeah. cans. And uh, so I'm going to put the garbage can in the fence and see if that works. Mm-hmm. And maybe a metal garbage can as well um, could be another option. That way they wouldn't be able to, to gnaw into it so much. So I hope those uh, help a little bit. And I hope you hear back from that animal control person as well so that we can get you get those raccoons away from you there. So thank you so much for giving us a call today, Donna. I hope your, your raccoon problem goes away soon. All right, we're going to move on to our next caller and talk with Craig and Biloxi. Good morning, Craig. Hey, good, hey, good morning. Uh, I was wondering what kind of... Uh, but like botulism, if it survives uh, heating, it, it will, if it will survive cooking, and if there's uh, anything else. And I have one suggestion for the cat lady there is a uh, three-foot-high platform will keep the raccoons off of the cat food. Fantastic. Uh, All right. So there's the platform. All right. So botulism is a, a, a different beast entirely, and so it usually is not destroyed by heating. Um Fortunately, it's also not that prevalent. You know, there are a couple of things that we monitor for in terms of food-based botulism. Um, you know, honey is is one of those. That's also why we don't recommend giving honey to children under the age of one because they're more susceptible to botulism. Um, the other is canned foods, largely home canned foods that might not have been done so properly or canned foods that have lost their seal um, so, you know, we, uh, the, one of the reasons to not buy heavily dented cans and things like that, that are discolored or misshapen, um, because that can, uh, it just be a little bit more, uh, worrisome. Also, if the cans make, um, a loud hiss when store-bought cans, when you're open them, that can be a problem as well as if anything smells weird on the inside of, um, of the can, we would want to avoid it there. But, um, but, um, uh, Clostridium botulinum is not usually destroyed by heat. Okay. If you did manage to get to eat something that gave you a stomachache, is there any kind of first aid you would do, like eat oatmeal or lots of water or salt? Or what should you do if you do eat something that gives you, you diarrhea or yeah, and problems? Kind of the Kind of the same thing we I talked about earlier with just regular gastroenteritis. You want to kind of leave, let the body rest a little bit. And so we want to eat bland things. Um, the other thing to look at is, are we having fever? Are we having chills? Are we having blood or mucus in our, in the diarrhea? All of those are kind of uh, a little bit more concerning signs there, especially the blood and mucus in the stool and would require evaluation by a healthcare provider sooner rather than later. Otherwise, just some good bowel rest to let, um, let your belly get to feeling better. Okay. Well, I'm going to go eat something. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Good. Go eat something good. All right. Very, very quickly. I'm going to try and get to Alice in Macomb. Alice. 
uh, I got diverticulitis, and I'm supposed to eat cornbread and seeds and stuff like that. But what about real small squash? They, the seeds be kind of soft and stuff, and they cook them real good. Would I be able to eat those? The yellow squash? Yes. I would just scoop the seeds out. You know, it all depends on how severe your diverticula is. So I would just first ask your healthcare provider about that, but then you can easily take a spoon and scoop those seeds out of the squash. That way you don't have um, have a problem with any of those yeah. seeds getting stuck in the diverticula because those are those little pooches in your intestine. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.